I'm having my one. Welcome to the Zeusian 13th episode of the I'm Having My One podcast, a podcast we've created about board games. My name is Tom, and on this episode, I'm joined by Neil. I am Paul. Hello. Now, by the time you listen to this, it will be 2023. It's a happy new board game year. Hopefully you've had a great Christmas full of board games and fun. I know I did. What was the best game you played this Christmas, Neil? Shelfie Stacker, but the real version. Um, (laughs) Neil's moved house this Christmas. Yeah. Paul, how about you? Sleeping Lions. (laughs) Nice. Lovely. Join the next episode, see if that was actually the case. Okay, so on this most lucky of episodes, we'll be talking about the game we just played, Escape the Dark Castle. Chatting, as usual, about what else we've been playing. We'll discuss another six games from the hotness. And our topic this episode is the Twilight Imperium debrief we promised all the way back in episode nine, part B. It's going to be great! Phew, we made it. We've just escaped the Dark Castle. Or did we? We'll soon find out. This is the game we've just played. Escape the Dark Castle from 2017 by Themeborn Limited and designers Alex Crispin, Thomas Pike and James Shelton. Neil and I were actually lucky enough to meet the designers of this game and play uh, a quick version of it at Tabletop Live in 2019. And we did absolutely love it straight away. The tagline on Board Game Geek for this sums up Uh, the setting for us pretty well here i think it says after years of wrongful incarceration you embark on a desperate quest to escape it's a really light and quick and really difficult adventure game this for one to four players where you undertake a series of challenges in that mission to get out of the, the dark castle and you're rolling dice to find successes and ultimately beat the big boss and escape neil Do you mind just talking us through uh, a little bit more detail on how that mechanic of undertaking those challenges works, please? Yeah, so uh, the game of Escape the Dark Castle is uh, is, is set up originally by uh, a number of like adventure cards. So you have the, the 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 bottom one is going to be your boss, and you've got probably in the box. I think you've got five or six to choose from uh, that you'll pick one at random, and then you've got this kind of this adventure deck, which is all various encounters, um, and you shuffle up your adventure deck and you deal out fifteen cards, and that then becomes your 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 mission um, to try and escape. So on your turn, you're going to flip over the top card, read the text, uh, often in some form of uh, hilarious Dungeon Master-esque voice. (laughs) Um, And then you'll do what it says. And invariably, it will involve uh, fighting some sort of monster. Um, But it might be, you know, try and, you know, with your your little hero dice, roll a a certain... um, roll a certain category and then you maybe get items or you don't get hit so badly or there's there's lots of various encounters it's really really good uh, really nice and um intuitive and and it kind of flows quite easily as well right yeah and do we like that mechanic of the uh you know have a turn you roll you get that that quest card if you like and then uh roll the dice we feel that that works yeah definitely definitely think so so the each time as soon as you flip it over you're kind of <laughs> i feel like every time we turn a card over we say oh this doesn't look good and then i don't know about you guys i instinctively look to that number in the bottom right hand corner which is the, <laughs> the like the damage that the monster hits you back at yeah 
And if there's no number, you're like, oh, phew, it's just text on this one. But if there's a number, then you're like, oh, we're going to get into a fight now. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's a skill check, basically, right? And so I guess it's a very, very light D&D type thing that you're doing with it, really, aren't you? That you um, you set the challenge and you have to roll and do it. And there's always, you know, there's always a lot of fun about rolling dice, right? Yeah. And it's very easy to get on board with if you're into that kind of that fantasy genre. Mm. But it's not too heavy in that though it's not something that you kind of you know you have to be hugely into your dungeons and dragons to to be engaged with something like this no you just have to have dabbled in you know in in brackets fantasy land which is that land that that everyone's aware of you know where there's skeletons and gargoyles and and you know all of that kind of stuff what i like about this is that we are just six just average joes right like the the core set is like a cook (laughs) a smith a tanner a bishop you know they're they're just average people that's so true i hadn't really thought about it but yeah being you know you're not heroes you're not an elf a wizard and a dwarf or something you you're just <laughs> four people who've been been locked up from as you know, that choice of six and uh, and you're fighting your way out with your slightly different skill set right which is why i think it's so good because it's such a hard game but i think that reflects in the fact that you're just a bunch of average people right right and, and worth saying that we when we just played this we played in total for about maybe not quite an hour the game doesn't take that long it's probably you know 45 minutes we we're actually playing for but that was us playing for 15 minutes dying within about the first three cards resetting it and having a, another go well, yeah which is often the yeah. way you do it right and what's really nice is it's a really quick game to set up and pack away we've talked about it about other games on this podcast where it might be a 45 minute game but you've got 15 minutes set out 15 minutes pack down time yeah Whereas this, you know, you get out of the box, you're good to go in a couple of minutes. And and again, if you want to reset it or back it away, it, it's a couple of minutes again. And very right. Yeah. And if someone's new to it, it's like there's a character card, there's a pencil, there's a die. Copy us, and and we'll we'll talk you through it. I was just going to say yes, maybe it's it does have something about it that I've not thought about before, which is sort of a gateway game into those sort of skill check, fancy type games actually you know as well as just being something that's light not everything has to be a gateway into getting into the hobby as much as us i suppose but the uh <laughs> the they the point is there that it could be something that, that starts to spark something um in somebody that they're interested to play uh those sort of games or as you say it's just a simple thing that is going to please a variety of different audiences yeah i think it works really nicely as you say whether it's a gateway game or not but I would kind of also put it in like the dinner party game. Okay. You know, because if if you've got a couple of people over, you know, doing a couple's dinner or whatever, okay, maybe the theming is a bit dark and you might need to pick your audience. But actually, you don't need to be a board gamer to play it. No. It, it kind of, in a slightly weird way, sits in the same sort of category as those like trivia games and things like that, where right. you don't have to be interested in playing board games it's more about the social experience yes and the rolling the dice and hamming it up with your vincent price impressions or or whatever else we got uh as as we were going through your robert de niro was excellent tom it's it's not the first time i've been told that (laughs) um yeah but you're right and and i think it it does need the right kind of audience because i think the three of us like kind of doing those hammy voice acting parts and definitely except i always just end up sounding like bill bailey (laughs) 
<laughs> Your Ray Winston. The hairline, you're getting there. <laughs> I've the bald this. mullet is a strong look, isn't it? <laughs> I've played this with um, our friend Seb, who has a, a background in in the uh, in the Midlands, and we've all played it doing Brummie accents all the way through. Which, when you're reading out that kind of fancy uh, <laughs> in a Brummie accent, is is unreal. Okay, so one of the things about it is that which I've never really thought about is that it says one to four players. Obviously, we've played it as three. I think that works well, and four would be fine as well. And you just sort of up and down the number of hit points and so on um, that you have based on that. Do you think this would work as a solo game? It says it would do it from one, and, you know, it kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I think you could play it solo, I think. The cards, the artwork on the cards kind of have that real, like, gothic theme to them, mm. which look great. And and I think the text is is really immersive. But I, I think that needs to be a shared experience. It's be- yeah, it's best like that. It's funny that you used to talk about things like the artwork and it's also the fonts as well. Neil, do you remember when we spoke to the guys at the Tabletop Live that we went to and we said, oh, look, this this really reminds me of those um, those Choose Your Own Adventure books you used to get as a kid. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And the guy very quickly shut that down. Uh, and we, when we said, oh, look, even the font looks the same. He's like, no, 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 it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No yeah. copyright issues here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I, I've looked up the, I've forgotten which of those designers uh, it was, but I think we, we, I'm pretty sure we did um, speak to to one of the designers and the guy who taught us was, was one of those thought, three. I thought it was the, I thought it was James, wasn't it? Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was... That's always nice. So there is also uh, the Escape in the Dark Sector expansion. We had a little go at this in Games Cafe some point last year. It's a bit more complicated, right? It's a bit more, they've tried like so many expansions, just trying to add something extra. We were sort of a bit, uh, you know, let's say, less enthusiastic about it, I think. We maybe didn't play it in the, at the best time. We were sort of on the way out of the Games Cafe, but it didn't quite have the same impact on us, I don't think, did it? No, escape the dark sector is you know that space kind of you know trying to get away from things. And yeah. although we like those sort of games, I think the the theme of the first one, that sort of gothic horror, fits really nicely with that sort of choose your own adventure. Although it's not as they say, um, I think it works really nice. And I think the extras that they tried to include mm. just overcomplicated a game that didn't need to be overly complicated yes yeah, one of the beauties of it as you said before is how simple this is how easy it's to teach but you've you know when we're getting there maybe we're a bit tired after a few hours in the the board game cafe but we're struggling to get our heads around the rules of okay so you've got this weapon and it's got ammo in it and blah, 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 you know yeah it, it didn't need that i think i think if you owned sector and it was the only one that you and your friendship group owned then i'm sure it'd be fine but it's mm. just for me it's it's one of those where it suffers from that whole like well, I'd rather just play this instead, you know, like I'd rather just play Castle rather than Sector. Yeah, yeah. And there's nice little expansions that I think, did you get this one or was it just Ali where you got the little, the the Axe of Destiny with the golden dice that allows you to sort of roll and, and you're much uh, stronger in the fight. This is in, sorry, for uh, Escape the Dark Castle. Mm. Um, and But if, if you roll the wrong one, it... it breaks in half or something else. so long story short we both came away from the from the expo with that with the, with both the, ba- the base game and the little axe pledge i think i bought it there and then whereas ali tried to try to shop around a little bit um okay. 
But in my tenure of owning this game and the axe combo, I think I've had <laughs> it come out twice. Mm. And I think once it broke on the first roll and once it broke on the second roll. So because it's, um, a, it's yeah. an item deck card, right? So as we're going through and you're picking up these items, having defeated the beasties as you're going through, you pick yeah. those up. So it, I guess it is right. You just need to shuffle that deck nicely so it's not in the, near the top somewhere. Yeah, I need to go back to magician school. <laughs> but whilst it's a co-op game, I think there's... A, and, and maybe it's the way that we house rule it, is that whoever flips over the card has got the ultimate say in what happens. Yeah. But... It doesn't feel too quarterbacky. Like it feels like you've got your own agency in what you do. Yeah, like there are some of those That's... cards when you turn them over, then it says as a group decide. But you know, I think we feel it just works better to do yeah. as you say. And I also think that 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 deck of adventure cards is big enough. There's like sixty cards in there, so mm. you know you definitely see them come come out again and again. But the actual, I think I played this a dozen times, and there was a new one there um, that I'd never seen before. Last question for me before we get into ones and scores is who do you think this game's for? We've touched on it a little bit, but I think it's got quite a broad appeal. Like I say, I think it would do very well for like a small dinner party. You got a few friends over for dinner or whatever, even if they're not board gamers. It's a brilliant games day filler. Do you think if you were like an in-depth RPG sort of player or you played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, you'd find it too light? No, I don't think so. I mean, I've played a fair old bit of Dungeons and Dragons and I think it sits alongside it quite nicely. I, I wouldn't take it to my Dungeons and Dragons group. Be like, hey, why don't we do this instead of our campaign? I've got my golden axe of destiny. Come on. Yeah. Um, but but no, I, I think I think it works quite nicely because it is that sort of short, fun. You know, theme, theming aside, it is fun to play. And yeah. when the dice rolls go your way, there's that big sense of elation. And when they invariably don't, it's kind of a, a shared mm. shared joy slash misery. At, right. Uh, <laughs> I think how, maybe that's how a, hard the game is. That is a point to make, is that if you do get this game and you play it, don't be downhearted if you lose for the first 10 times. That is just what the game is like. And maybe that would seem a little bit silly as why do you want to get a game you can't win? It is doable. To, there's a little bit of luck about that in the cards that come out. Of course, a lot of luck in the dice that you're rolling. Um, but you can do it. Just don't get dispirited. But... I mean, if you do win in the first 10 plays, then you've done exceptionally well. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's my that tonight was my second win to date, I think. Okay, so did we have any ones? Is this the sort of game you have ones on? I don't think so. Didn't have any, did we? No ones. I guess I did suggest one at one time. Actually, didn't I? That you could be. You see an anniversary come out of the deck, and you go, "Oh, it'd be quite good if we had changed those items around to be someone else." But again, that just probably goes beyond a one, really, doesn't it? So, what do we reckon for scores, Neil? So again, like I'm a huge purveyor of, of you know, the higher the score doesn't necessarily reflect like the complexity of the game. It's what it does at being, you know, what it is. And for me, it's an eight. I think it's I think it's a really, really solid game at doing what it does. It's such a great filler because it's got zero teach. You know, it's a like like Paul said, it's a 20, 30 minute game. It's it appeals to a lot of different people. I'm always like if there's ever spare time, it's always one of the first things that I pick off the shelf to say, right, these are these are your options. What do you guys think? So, yeah. okay, thank you, Paul. Uh, Yeah. Eight for 
the reasons Neil gave, but less convoluted. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be really boring and say eight as well. So I think we're all on the same page. There's so nothing else to say. But the game just is a lot of fun. And that's the biggest thing for me is that um, it generates a lot uh, of laughter when you, you're playing it in the way that, that we've described. Is that the second time that we've, the second time, the second podcast in a row that we've, uh, we've synced up our scores? It is, yeah. We, we are. Yeah, we've synced up like a sorority group, haven't we? Just gradually. What, what's the thing where it just gradually becomes one? Osmosis is the opposite, isn't it? I know that's the absorption of water. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so those were our thoughts on Escape the Dark Castle. Let's hope you don't find yourself incarcerated in any dark castles anytime soon but if you do you now know what to do let's move on to what we've played paul lead us off yes yeah, so it was my youngest boy's eighth birthday uh the other week and he wanted to play board games for on his birthday which is uh you know That's amazing i i you know credit myself as a parent that uh I've led him down this route and he wanted to play cash and guns or cash and guns. If you're searching for it, um, this is a party game uh, by repos productions um, where you're all playing different gangsters who are competing to divvy up loot. Um, it's a silly game. It's a fun game. And the way it works is everyone gets these foam pistols. And at the start of a round, you randomly point your pistols at each other. And unbeknownst to everyone else, you would have selected whether your gun is loaded with ammo or whether it is firing blanks. Um, during the game, you've only got a set number of ammo, so you have to kind of spend it wisely. And you want to try and eliminate players. And if they're shot, then they can't loot at the end of the round. And people with the the most amount of money at the end wins. It's a silly game. It's a fun game. You can play in about half an hour. Um, we all we all enjoy it. Um, it's four to eight players. You definitely need more than four. I think six is kind of the ideal number to play mm. in this game. But but yeah, it's 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 one of these games where you have a lot of laughs. Where you know suddenly you've got someone pointing a gun in your face that you weren't expecting. You know, you don't openly talk about allying up, but sometimes that kind of happens. And <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's it's just it's just a good silly game. I only played the once, so I found it pretty entertaining. Um, there were just a group of us around the table, and so quick to to get the hang of what you were doing. Brilliant. Okay, thanks, Paul. Neil, what have you got? Had another game of heat pedal to the metal which i'm really really enjoying now uh and another game with some friends of ank Morpork. so um we've both uh we've talked about both of these games a fair bit before um really really enjoyed uh playing the Discworld game again um i was a little bit hamstrung with the cards that i was pulling um and i appreciate okay. that that's one of the kind of the common things that might put some people off right but i think we need to remember that i see this game through the the very rosiest of rose-tinted spectacles um so yeah i still had a great time great love it funnily enough the last couple of times i've played discworld has been online it's you know it's been on tts whereas um i have still got paul's copy and it was just so great to be to, to have it out on the table again it's odd i've seen quite a few people reference you know just doing bits on on the social media and, and elsewhere 
seen quite a few people reference it really so i don't know um why it's it's making a comeback i'm, I'm going to attribute that to us talking about it on this podcast several <laughs> several weeks ago and our one listener has told ten thousand people okay thanks neil mine uh similar kind of quieter week in terms of gaming just life stuff getting in the way unfortunately board gaming nightmare um, but the one that I have been having to go at with with Paul actually is another block war game that you and I have been playing online, Paul. Uh, right, it's from the same team and publisher as another game we've spoken about and enjoyed, Hammer of the Scots, uh, and this is Crusader Rex. So this time we're in the era of the entirely unproblematic Third Crusade, fighting over a map of the eastern Mediterranean coast and the hinterland, attempting to capture enough key cities over six game years. Each year you have a number of uh, rounds in it. We've spoken about why we like block war games before, so I'm not going to uh, repeat that too much, uh, see other episodes for details. But this is a great next step up, I think, from something like Hammer of the Scots, right, where you've got sieges, delayed deployments, road movement limits, and lots of things that, kind of for me, advance this game from Hammer of the Scots to something that actually is a little bit closer to some games that I have investigated and maybe not played too much, that are more the kind of heavier, maybe traditional war games. And basically there's more rules and more to keep in your head at one time. I think I prefer Hammer of the Scots still, mainly for its simplicity and that kind of wonderful drama you still get when you're playing it. But, you know, Crusader X certainly has a lot of brilliant little extras. Uh, if you're looking for something that is a step up or something that's broadly in the same ballpark, um, that is a game that is very difficult to get hold of. Um, I did manage to grab a copy for you, Paul, which is sitting for you behind me right now. Very generous uh, gift, thank you. Uh, 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 yep, that's just the uh, eBay fee whenever you're ready. Um, <laughs> if you are interested, though, um, just do as we did and, and try this online platform, Rally the Troops, uh, which has got a good few similar games on there. Uh, and then just as as we have done trawl the ebay listings for some months and months and months to find a copy um you just you're not going to get this from a, a, a seller in print anymore um but there do seem to be quite a few copies around that, that come up every now and again on ebay all right cheers guys some good games there let's move on and have a look at some new things <laughs> Okay, let's have a look at the hotness again. So we've got uh, these six games that we've picked from that top 50. Paul, you're starting us off with Mosaic. Tell me about it. Yes, so this is Mosaic, specifically a story of civilization. Because if you Google Mosaic just as a game, there are hundreds <laughs> of them. So Mosaic, a story of civilization, is currently sitting at number three. 35 in the hotness it's from forbidden games uh it's out this year one to six players uh hour and a half to two hours game time and then depending on whether you want the base version or the deluxe version which has got nice little miniatures and things like that you can pick it up for 60 or 120 pounds depending on your standard you'd like your game to be published in uh it's by glenn drover who has done Age of Empires, Railroad Tycoon, right. that kind of thing. He's got a good pedigree for doing these civilization-based, you know, land exploration games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's action selection, uh, where you're trying to grow your ancient civilization by acquiring components, researching, 
different technologies and growing your empire across the globe. Um, visually, I think it looks interesting, although it looks like an older game than it is. The, the, the sort of artwork is a bit, I think, dated, but I think that's kind of the style that they've gone for. I don't think it's a bad thing, but where we have a lot of games coming out that are sort of big, bold and in your face, there's a lot more muted colours in in the cards, in the map work. And yeah. Um, it, it looks interesting. I think there's a lot of very similar games out there. Um, I'm not quite sure what this does differently in the, the sort of brief look I had at it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's coming from a designer that does these games very well and I'm sure plays plays brilliantly. Yeah, I looked at this a little while ago and a lot that appeals to me about it. It looks really, really fun, I think. Um, there's a lot of great stuff. And it was on Kickstarter, I think, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, it's, it's... it's kind of just finishing up, so... Yeah. Cool, okay, thank you. So my first one is The King's Dilemma. This is a game from 2019 by uh, Horrible Guild, uh, Halmar Hack and Lorenzo Silva of Railach. Can, can I just say, it looks like the box artwork is just the king responding to your pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, anyway, that guy, uh, and uh, I'm not going to just butcher your name anymore, so I'm sorry, just in case he is listening. And Lorenzo Silva, which is a lot easier to say, of Railroad Inc. fame. And it's this incredible-looking campaign game of voting with some real Game of Thrones vibes to it, where you're playing as this the King's Council, if you like. And as a group, you're going to vote on various agendas that are going to impact the kingdom. You kind of maintain the balances based on objectives that you're set for your faction um across these tracks or not maintaining the balance um of a particular king's reign uh, and so sort of think the agenda phase of twilight imperium or the bidding you see in the game of thrones game for the the, the iron throne track and stuff and uh, it's got some great legacy or let's call them more campaign elements to it that you're changing the game a little bit as you're going through with stickers and so on it maybe has too many role-playing type elements to it for me uh and you know there's a lot of um maybe outward actors who would enjoy playing this if you know what i mean but for a really good group negotiation game and sort of you know acting it up a bit if you want i think you'd probably struggle to do better than this game the king's dilemma and i'd I'd be really excited to try it if maybe a little reluctant um, to buy it because of the concerns with all all of these campaign games over table time right there are just so many games we try and play and, and limited opportunities relatively speaking to be able to do it so committing to something like this where you're playing it, it many times over I'm, I'm not completely sure that um, I'll be able to do that anyway it is available right now uh, for around 50 to, to 60 pounds here in the UK I've got some buddies who who played a full campaign of this. Like I think they got together every Friday for a while, cool, um, and worked their way through it. And and they were Positive. absolutely fizzing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really enjoyed yeah. It. I'd be so tempted, but I think you need like six people to be able to do that regularly, and you need to be the right six people, as we say, have said yeah. over these sort of games in the past, right? I think it. I think it looks really good. I'd love to have a go at this, but but the same. Go. We've got three. We've got three. We just need three more. Yeah, but do you know how often 
you know, even the three of us who do a podcast regularly then find spare time to to play play this sort of game. I think I think it is going to be a struggle. Hmm. My my one criticism of the game um, is purely in the uh, BGG description, where at the bottom it says, "We act for the greater good, or will you only think of yourself." But at least most of us Brits can't get through the the first bit where you act for the greater good without then in the little voice in the back of your head the going, greater good. <laughs> good. greater good. And then I've kind of forgotten what we're supposed to be thinking of. So the greater good. Greater good. Yeah. <laughs> um no, it it looks so good, doesn't it? I'd like I would really like to play this. We you could you could sit down and slog it out over a weekend. <laughs> 12 really packs. argumentative weekend yeah <laughs> you really like sell it there as well you can sit down and slog it out if you really want to <laughs> oh good can't wait let me book some time off would you so, would you like an argument for a weekend that's Definitely. the king's dilemma there is a new uh game coming out called the queen's dilemma that follows on from this um for those who are really into it uh but anyway there we go paul back to you yeah, okay, so my second one is currently sitting at number 17 in the hotness, and it is Obsession by Kayenta Games. It's uh, from 2018, one to four players, 30 to 90 minutes, and you can pick it up for about £65. It's Downton Abbey the game. Um, <laughs> why did you pick this one? I was so interested this why you really this. appeals to me. Does it? Um, yeah. yeah. yeah it, it re- <laughs> so... I've never watched Downton. I've no, got no no desire to watch Downton Abbey. But mechanically, I think it looks very interesting. Okay. So you're you're building up your uh deck, your your gentry, um, and then you're using your workers to keep them happy. So you're building up musical recitals, you're playing billiards, you're debating politics, <laughs> going to balls. There is fox hunting in there. I guess it's of the time. Maybe that one's a bit more controversial. And and you're trying to build this country estate from a, a setting of disrepute to bring it back to its full uh, aristocratic glory. And okay. ultimately through essentially victory points, winning the heart of the local noble lady or man, uh, depending on your preferences. Uh, and uh, tell me, Matt, tell me more about this lady Orman. Uh, lady Orman is uh, a wonderful person. Um, lady Orman. It, I I think the the way the mechanics work, the the way that you're building the estate, it looks really interesting. So I actually went on board game arena and played the tutorial of this to try and get my head around it early on there was a slight issue for me where because especially as in the tutorial Mm -hmm. and i hadn't looked at the game too in depth at this time where i wanted to activate a noble and some of the time depending on the nobles you then need to use servants to um to to get them to do the thing you want them to do and on the tutorial, it said, uh, for this noble to work, you will need to give him a white servant. At which point, there was all kinds of Puerto Rico yeah. kind of, uh-oh, that doesn't seem right. Until I realized that there is also a blue servant, green, purple, and red servant. Okay, and okay, uh, okay, okay. It, it was... <laughs> 
war. It wasn't a callback to the uh, the the 18th century aristocracy or anything like that. It was just purely donating uh, denoting the the meeple colour that you had to pick. So yeah. oh, panic was over. <laughs> yeah, this gets it, so many great reviews. It does. It does. It does. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not something that jumps out to me, but you know, as uh, always, give it a go. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those where probably for the three of us, the theme isn't our number one choice. However, quite happily play Castles of Burgundy. Right. You know, similar period of time and game gameplay, very, very different. But in terms of, you know, how it's set, I think... Maybe Obsession will do a Space Aliens expansion that will appeal to us more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should just broaden our horizons or my own horizons anyway and not just do historical war games and sci-fi stuff. There's there's also worker placements going, don't worry. Well, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Brass, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Bloody love it. Uh, so, yeah, so that's Obsession. Back to you, Tom, Tom. Thanks, Paul. So the next one I've got was at number five. It's My Little Everdale. So this looks really cute. It's basically Everdale, the game. Don't pull that face, Neil. Uh, <laughs> aimed at a younger audience. So <laughs> it's published by Starling Games and James Wilson, the original creators of Everdale. Uh, that very popular forest-based work placement and tableau building game, which we like. Uh, you seem to be largely doing the same thing here, really. It's just simpler, easier iconography, shorter playtime. The artwork is all let's call it sort of kidsified, if you like, in that the woodland creatures have been reduced in age. And your workers are all called friends. Aww. One difference I can see is that uh, it does introduce die rolling for the resources on those, you know, work placement uh, spots, which is which is an interesting change. Plus, there's no hand of cards here. You've just got that open meadow uh, of cards that everyone can play. So, in theory, I guess, making it a little bit simpler there. And it does look like a great option if you're someone with kids and you want to introduce, uh, you know, even your nephews and nieces or whatever into this kind of game, something that's work placement. Uh, Neil, you've got uh, nephews and nieces. Do you want to introduce them to this sort of game? No. Okay, good. Anyway, it's just been introduced, uh, sorry, announced, I'm sorry, just been announced a couple of weeks ago. And I can actually only find it on US and Canadian sites right now for pre-order for some reason. But hopefully we'll see it out here soon. I think there's some some nice things that appear. I, I feel like uh, my daughter who's four, maybe in a couple of years, would be, would be interested in something like this. I think it's ideal. I think it, they've pitched it right. I mean, it's, it's on BGG at age six plus. I mean, it looks looks to be right on that that sort of age where kids are moving up from the snakes and ladders of the world to to something and yeah i think and it looks really like it's cute isn't it it is it's very cutesy and you know that could be a bit vomit inducing i suppose there's also my little scythe which is definitely on my my wish list at some point as well the um but you know who who doesn't want to put their kids on a path to some heavy um uwe rosenberg work placement at some point in the future right it's one step from this to uh Feast for Odin. <laughs> no, I think I think you need to go via Stone Age because the resource <laughs> die rolling fits nicely. 
Good point. Curious to see my little feast for Odin. (laughs) Oh, this is the whole thing. What little my littles could you have? My little June Imperium. My little Twilight Imperium. I just like, Everdell was already cutesy. Like, they didn't really need to... I think that's a fair, fair point. There's a chance that this is sort of touches on the side of maybe they're just, you know... For me, it feels like they're just riding the cash cow here. Like, yeah, yeah, they've done a million expansions. They've now done the big box. Now it's my little Everdell. But anyway, I, I quite liked it. Right, Paul, batting it back to you. Thank you. So uh, finally, from me, number two, Soul, Last Days of a Star by right. Elephant Laboratories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a um, originally a 2017 game, but is just going through... Uh, a reprint from Kickstarter pledges. Um, Kickstarter will have finished a couple of days before this podcast goes out. Um, but for those that are interested, I don't know whether they'll be doing a a late pledge, but a lot of these games seem to, so so that might be an option. So one to five player game, 45 to 90 minutes. This apocalyptic style game, you control a planet surrounding a dying sun. Each world has created an arc with the last of its people wanting to escape the solar system. Sadly, the only energy big enough to leave is the slowly dying sunlight. You could say the people are waiting for the arc Nova. Um, <laughs> in, in the game, each player launches sun divers to rebuild enough of the lost solar, solar infrastructure to escape. Each time you extract the energy, you hasten the star's demise. So, it's ah, a real okay. battle where you are trying to suck as much life out of the sun to power your arc before it completely dies um, in the hope that no one else can do the same. Okay, and, that sounds awesome. And they can all die. Great. I mean, not great, they die, but... <laughs> as long as your planet lives, right? Um, it looks really simple. It, there's only kind of three actions you can do. You can move, you can fix something or you can draw the energy out and or i think there's still enough strategy to to work because it it works on this uh circular board the board's not circular it's square but you're playing on a circle if that makes sense uh Mm -hmm. surrounded by the sun and depending on how far in or out to the sun you move your workers it it will affect how much energy you can draw out um some action cards that add a bit of variance to that. So yeah, I, I don't know. It it looks interesting. Not the sort of game I would normally be drawn to, but it's, I think it looks like I, the sort of thing that you, you might be interested in, Neil. Don't this appeal to you? No, not not really. No, really? Okay, I've, 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 well, I've, I've, maybe I need to look more at it, or maybe I don't. If I'm trying to save money but <laughs> you love yeah, a sci-fi I, I feel like spacey. i've already got quite a few ticks in those boxes yeah fair enough fair enough great thanks paul right mine is pax hispanica which was number one at the time and this really caught my interest it's a game out in 2024 although bg says 2023 the um, pre-order site suggested a q1 2024 it's actually a re-implementation of a game from 2006. I don't know, called Lords of the Spanish Main. It sl- rings a slight bell. It's from Phil uh, Eklund and Iron Game Design and Sierra Madre Games. This is the designer who's done a number of these packs, sort of insert your title here type games, um, which again, I don't know well. 
but they have got a reasonably good reputation and it's one of those that sort of have considered investigating at some point anyway in this particular game you're playing a character in the caribbean golden age of piracy which always seems like a slightly strange expression but anyway you're going to be fighting ship battles buying items bidding on things uh there isn't actually huge amounts of information on this so I look back at the original lords of the spanish main plus their pre-order uh page um where you know that original it doesn't look that exciting unfortunately and that pre-order the design looks quite dull there's some nice little meeple ships in there so i sort of got this and thought oh pirate game exciting and then i've come away from that not too pumped about it so this may not be that pirate game that i'm looking for um but anyway it's worth keeping an eye on i think just in case there's more that comes out and you know some reviews or something come out later so if you're interested already though those pre-order sites do seem to be up that's directly actually from um the the game designer only as far as i can see and it's 69 dollars, so it's not too bad but it's one that personally i want to see a bit more information about but it, it could could well turn into a, a really good good option yeah this this for me is kind of like the opposite of obsession where the theme is something i'm i'd really get into is that kind of seventh seventeenth 17th century seventh century would be a lot worse 17th century you know piracy and you know armadas and stuff like that it it sounds really cool and then you're right there's at the moment at least it doesn't look i feel like i'm always looking for a good pirate game and i have tried quite a few and haven't yet found it there you know i think in uh console game world which was the uh, assassin's creed that black flag was the third one fourth one something like that that was incredible. That was such a good game. With your sea shanties going on, sailing all around yeah. the Caribbean. Man, that was good. Having a board game version of something like that, and I tried, and I'd like us to have a go at some point with uh, Merchants and Marauders, but I didn't have a good experience with that before. No, I think there's uh, a couple of uh, Armada-based war games. Not Armada, obviously. Um, but but there there are those kind of miniature war battles but that's not a board game and mm. it's that kind of adventure game of of be like, like this game seems like it's trying to to do of here's your character you know um there was a game years ago called did you guys ever do, uh, play sid meyer's pirates yeah, um i've got i've got that on uh, steam have you and you yeah. kind of you'd start out as your little sort of cabin boy and you'd end up somehow getting a ship and then you'd upgrade your ship and you'd go and do some little missions and you'd defeat bigger ships and um you know spanish bases and things like that and gradually become the meanest pirate and the seven seas kind of thing and that was brilliant somewhere between that and black flag would be fantastic so yeah. if you could someone get on with that that'd be great right those were some really interesting choices there i think it was a great list of games on the top 50 this week. So I hope you agree those were six of the best. Welcome to our Twilight Imperium debrief. A few weeks ago, now we got together, six of us, to play our first ever six-player game of Twilight Imperium and our first play of the Prophecy of the Kings expansion. We had planned to release this earlier, 
but realized that we actually just had so much we wanted to talk about with it and just couldn't do it justice as uh, part of one of our earlier episodes. So um, we've done this as a topic uh, for this one instead. On the day, we were joined by our friends Seb, Reese, and John, and we played actually two games of TI over one evening and then one full day, uh, and we had a blast with it. There's a couple of bits to this. We've got a short debrief we recorded on the day that we'll play you in a second. Uh, and then we thought we'd look back at some of our predictions from that episode 9B that we released and share some other thoughts. So let's jump on to our recording on the day. I'll set at the outset. We're still a bit new to this audio lark. So the sound recording on that single mic in quite an echoey room was not so great. So sorry about that. Anyway, roll tape. All right, we're here uh, in Bristol. We've just finished playing Twilight Imperium uh, with the Prophecy of the King's Expansion. It's taken us a good 10 hours. We thought we'd just have a little chat. We've actually just reset the whole game. And we're going to have another go. What a great idea. <laughs> uh, I'm joined, as normal, by Neil and Paul. But also we've got our buddies, Seb, Reese, and John, who've played with us. What do you think? Enjoy it? Reese, did you enjoy it? Yeah. <laughs> Reese had a lovely time. I had a, I had an okay time with it. I won, so you know, there's that. Um, but no, it was really good. What, was, what happened there? <laughs> we don't need to go into details, do we? Is that, are we analysing the game? <laughs> we haven't seen backstabbing of, of a such since the Red Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all the way through, Neil gallantly again and again defended his alliance with Reese. Mm-hmm. Time and again, did my best to try and persuade him otherwise. But I wasn't then, having any of it. And poor old Neil spent most of this turn being benevolent <laughs> to Reese, yeah, <laughs> and tried to find different ways to win, but hadn't didn't quite work out. Then he found another way. Went to a different place, got blocked. Someone else attacked him. Went a different way, found another way to get the points that he needed to be able to win. And then lo and behold, on the last turn, knife in the back. Yeah. Uh, little did he know he'd opened the back door. <laughs> I lived a happy and noble life. And in the second game, I've taken the evilest faction I can find. <laughs> and I will be remorseless to every single one of you, except Paul, to whom I pledged my allegiance early. Excellent. Definitely won't stab you in the back in the very last minute. So we four have played it before. New players, Reese, John, did you enjoy Twilight? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. It's an epic, I mean, it's quite a drain to keep track <laughs> what, of everything. Um, I, th- I think the, the, hardest, the hardest thing for, for me playing it was kind of trying to keep track of what other people were doing and Very difficult. their abilities. And, you know, there was one point at the end of the game where I thought Paul might be able to, you know, really scupper my plans, having stabbed Neil in the back quite deeply. Um, <laughs> and I, it didn't even occur to me that he might be able to get over to where I was to, to kind of do that. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a, it was quite close there. I mean, the the it was close quarters with the two players that we had either side, but then the rest of the board was kind of, you know, didn't didn't really factor in my game at all. Um, no, like you and I barely interacted at all. No. Which we did wonder might happen with this sort of size game. I think I managed to interact with everyone other than Seb. Oh, no, 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 because you came, you came through. I interacted with every single player. Do you know, uh, you PDSed me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. I had a, uh, an interesting, for a six-player game anyway, 
interesting um, secret objective card, which was if you are neighbours with everybody, yeah. then you could score a point. There are certain factions that works really, really well for, right? Mm. I could have done with that. <clears throat> well, I think at one point I was neighbours with everyone. Were you? Okay. I think everyone who had a turn at Mechatol Rex. Yeah, sure. If you're in Mechatol Rex, yeah. then yeah, when everyone's just sitting at the edge looking in. So that's the, that's the thing, right? Mechatol Rex exchanged hands, what, four times? Right, right. So that is something that is quite different. I mean, it often does change hands, but that was quite a lot. We yeah. also saw War Sons a load, which we've never really seen before. I think at one point there were seven War Sons on the board. It's incredible, which is the most sort of in theory powerful Death Star style unit in the game. But they're very expensive. What do we think of Prophecy of the Kings though? So Incredible. Improvement? That's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd won, you'd love it. I I think I think it we've always talked about expansions that just give stuff but this gives depth and context. Like the relics is non-complicated, but it really, really adds to what you're, yeah. to what you're doing. It gives another thing to, to talk and barter over. I think the addition of the mechs, especially for the Nazroka, they were amazing. They were, they were mm. really, really big. And I think the new factions were great as well. Of course, John? I, I swiftly learned the dangers of over-expansion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't overextend yourself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Picking a trade faction and then attacking Rex is probably right. So you played as Lacan, but that worked really well. And all the way through, all of us were saying, uh, you know, watch out, John's sitting on an absolute pile of cash. Yeah. Um, and it did allow you to build up and build up and build up, and through probably bad luck rather than anything else, you uh, poor timing, uh, I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it luck. didn't quite work out, but for a first game, you know, you were definitely in that. Like the glorious fall of Rome. <laughs> Reached the peak. One system too far, and it all mm. came crumbling down. Yeah. So, this is your like fourth, fifth game, something like that? Third game. Third game? Yeah. Prophecy of the Kings, improvement? No? Yeah, it's great. I, I really enjoyed the, the depth that it added. In the, the base game, I mean, you, can, you can easily run out of things that you can do in your turn, but then you, all of a sudden you've got agents you can use, you've got a commander, yeah. that, you've got a skill that can add. The mech that I had with um, my faction was great. Um, you know, I really enjoyed being able to use all these. The mechs were a good options. addition, particularly for you, Neil. Your flying mechs. So you had the flying mechs as well, didn't you? They could be ships. From yeah, yeah. From yeah. So they could, you, you could use them as a ground unit and as a ship in, in space combat. Sure, and mine got two dice on their attacks as well. Yeah, it was amazing. Really, really good. So we had a good cross-section of different factions of old and new. I think for this new one, we're kind of doing the same as well. Yeah, real mix. Some, we've all got new ones, actually. Paul, Neil, and myself. And you guys have all got uh, the originals, haven't you? Thematically, we've got a wicked table set up here. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. We've got the uh, uh, Neil as the, the old emperors, the Mahat, who've come out from, or kings, rather, who've come out of uh, hiding. We've got their former slaves as uh, the Embers of Mahat. Slaves, they used to, it was a peaceful uh, <laughs> working, arrangement. <laughs> working arrangement. Uh, we've got uh, Seb, who is the, the sort of former bureaucrats, like people of, of Neil. Uh, we've got Paul, who is the anti Neil, uh, the, what, what are they called again? Argent Flight. Who've uh, appeared. And it's their mission to drive Neil into the ground, so I hope we'll be playing that to, to its fullest extent. Um, and then John and I are just slightly random ones, um, but uh, we'll hopefully add that into the mix. So, you guys know that I enjoy playing games thematically. We do. And if 
Paul and Reese decide to play this game thematically, I'm sitting against, <laughs> I'm sitting in between the Mahats two kind the, of yeah. most mortal of enemies. And if they choose to play thematically, I expect I'll be out in three rounds. So I'm going straight for Mechatol Rex. Yeah. Although interestingly, like in the last game, I didn't take Mechatol Rex once. Same. And still managed to win the game. But I didn't so win, it's, yeah. So it's not... Like, <laughs> <laughs> and and stu- stupidly, new player, I mean, I, my opening uh, turn, I could have taken Mechatol Rex or my second turn, rather. Yeah. Um, and I had the Imperial card, but just didn't put two and two together what that was worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, yeah, it was a good learning game, but... I tell you what else was really good actually, these little frontier uh, things that you got all over the place, the way which you have to research the technology, so these are uh, tokens all over the board that you have to have the technology to be able to research them, and I guess it's kind of like exploring the extent of the galaxy effectively, and they've popped up with some quite good factions, John you didn't have such a good one that came out, I think, or it just wasn't so useful at the time, what was yours with the wormhole? Yeah, it was actively detrimental. Yeah. Uh, but the other ones like popped up new planets and other things like that. I, I quite like that addition. So that was really good. So that was the end of our first game. We're about really sensibly at uh, what time is it now? Twenty to five in the evening. About to start again. Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll perhaps add some more detail uh, later on about how it goes. Wish us luck. Bye. 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 So those were our thoughts from the day. Uh, so quickly on those two games. In the first game, it was all fairly tight. And Neil, you got really close. But then your old ally, uh, Reese, utterly betrayed you on the last turn to win the game. In the second game, sadly, Neil had to leave before we really got into it. Uh, and we're all a bit tired. So somehow we let Paul win his fourth game. Uh, somehow, I'm not sure how. So we've had a bit of time to digest this. Uh, these two games now. What were our initial thoughts on those two days? Never trust Reese again, ever. <laughs> oh, it was so sad. <laughs> the going, back, going on to Reese's victory, it was epic because Neil and Reese had had this airtight alliance <laughs> right from the start. Absolutely. To the, to the point where Tom even offered Neil a massive boon in the game if he betrayed Reese openly on the table. And Neil was like, nope, I would rather lose then break my alliance with Reese, and and within the hour, Reese had just done the ultimate backstab betrayal, and uh, it it was, I mean, as a bystander, it was really epic. I mean, I was kind of gutted because if Reese hadn't had done that, I'd have won that game. Um, <laughs> he got his moment right, didn't he? Just yeah, you know, it, it absolutely it perfect. Just that thing of sweeping in and timing it perfectly that uh, I don't want to say that he manipulated you through the whole game Neil but uh... <laughs> he played you like a fiddle the thing was the thing that was good about that is that he'd had like the game long feud with Seb yeah and he'd put himself in a position where all he needed to do was take two planets adjacent to a home system mm-hmm. and he could have chosen to have tried to win the game honourably by 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 fighting Seb and, and and ending up with two you know systems adjacent and, and I would say he probably had a, a fairly good chance yeah yeah and I just yeah I did feel sorry for that in the game as well there are a number of things where first of all you can tell us the story in a second but the card of cards came out for you again <laughs> um but then uh but also 
you felt it felt like you were so close and you were <laughs> just you're trying and look, I'm gonna get the victory points this way, have a go. Look, I'm gonna have a go. Ah, dice didn't quite work out, or someone did something that screwed it up for you, so it didn't quite work, and then came across and you you sort of attacked my little bit to get the points that you needed, and then I played an action card that kind of screwed up for you. And so you're bouncing around the board looking for ways that you could win, and you were so close, and you would have been able to do it on the next next turn, and then lo and behold. Reese was waiting for you back home with a with a, a big old knife for the your back, poisoned Chris knife. Exactly. Anyway, tell us about this card of cards. No, <laughs> it's too. It's been, it's been about a month, but it's still too raw. <laughs> I think oh, it's, it's still salty from the first time it happened. It's so. I just when it, this card came out, I I almost thought you were joking, Paul. To start with, it's just so ridiculous. There is one card in the deck. Which is if you have taken Mechatol Rex, this planet at the center of uh, of the galaxy that is giving you victory points, you put simply will have everything on there wiped off if the rest of the table basically votes against you. And Neil, you, you very unfortunately had this in our second ever game, I think it was, and it, it was went, a couple of games ago by now. Yeah, yeah, and it went wrong for you, um, and. Uh, we voted against you because we're all mean and then the dice went against you as well and you lost everything you took it very very well uh, <laughs> on the outside on the outside i took it well incredibly well and then lo and behold the first time you take mechatol rex in this game what was the first card that came out <laughs> the hilarious thing was that, that i think it was like round six or something that this came out so yeah the game had been going on for you know for for ages, and for once, I chose not to yeah. like rush Mechatol Rex. I slid on in there at the opportune moment. I had like a massive reserve fleet next to it. Like I, I yeah, I had everything going my way, and then Paul flipped over the card and started laughing. But 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 fate was with you. It t- it tickled you and said, Neil, how about a stick in the eye? again the other eye and then uh it all relies on the dice so we all voted again because we're mean for for this to happen again but the dice went in your favor this time so you didn't you didn't get blown up no but then, but then reese did it to you anyway for all intents and purposes you all you all voted to blow me up so yeah. sorry sorry all right so <laughs> how do we like the new factions yeah so i played as the nasroka which is the, the 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 little monkey alien riding on the back of a jaguar i had a great time playing with those their 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 leaders were really really good they're all about the explore mechanic which you know because it was our first game of that then i think i was quite keen to be doing as much of that exploring as we could the exploring um you know added some good things to the planets when you weren't finding little relic shards uh, I think over the course of that game, I think I managed to 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 gain five, maybe six relics in total. Yeah, you seem to be um, on it with those. That was that was amazing. Right, but then you know, I like everyone else needs three fragments, and I only need two. Yeah, and everyone else can only explore a planet once, whereas I can just keep doing it over and over and over again. And I've right. also had another like another card where it let me draw two true two exploration cards and pick the one that I wanted. So I was really kind of burning through that deck nice and quickly. Mm. And this is a good little segue into one of those other um, new bits of content that we've spoken about, right, is that explore element that now there was something that in a couple of different ways on uh, in this expansion that allowed you to explore and sort of discover stuff, find stuff, right? How did you find that? 
yeah, I loved it. It wasn't it wasn't difficult to add in, but it gave another element to the game. You know, with the with the relics, which which was really really good. They weren't game breaking. They were really yeah. you know they were really interesting, but. It was just a great addition that wasn't just stuff like it made sense and it fit and it worked and it was easy and it was seamless. And yeah, there's no way you'd ever want to not play with that. Again. Your your mechs were great as well from memory. Weren't they the flying mechs effectively as well? That was the other thing that they, that they were good at. Yeah. When they were on the ground, they were obscene and when they and they could also double up as as ships and they had then sustained damage. So you could take damage with your mechs instead of with your ships and yeah. I think they were the only mech in the game that rolls two dice in combat as well. Yeah, I can't remember now, but yeah, they were still definitely um, pretty pretty tough. Um, I think it was a, it was a good good choice that and played it well. Paul, how about you? What was your your faction um, or effort, one of the two factions that you wanted to talk about? So uh, I had Council Calaris, which are kind of outside of the prophecy of Kings expansion. They they kind of come as their own little. Uh, one little bonus faction that they they introduced. Um, a couple of the faction abilities were all based on uh, when you're voting for laws and, and things like that um, when agendas are revealed. But actually, I kind of didn't really didn't really use that much, too much just because never really came up for my benefit. Mm-hmm. But. One that worked really nicely was uh, one of their abilities is if someone is adjacent to Mechatar Rex, then they're considered adjacent to your faction. So it gave you the option to kind of sit back. I managed to get um, an objective uh, victory point out of that because you had to be neighbours with everyone. And yeah. and so, yeah, there were some some nice little bonuses. And then <clears throat> the the other thing is that if people were to attack you, either your mechs or your flagships, they they had to spend influence to to do so, extra influence to to do those attacks. Right. And that kind of gives you a nice little defensive bonus because if everyone spent all of their stuff early on in their in the round, then then they can't get to you. And and yeah, they were a good faction. I enjoyed playing with them. Yeah. They they did seem to have some some cool stuff about it. I, I... Well, both those factions you guys mentioned, I'd love to have a go at some point. Wow, this is the objective, right? You play it 25 times and you play each faction at once. Yeah. Uh, mine was, or the one that I wanted to talk about was the Titans of All. I uh, did play with um, Brotherhood of Yin, but I don't talk about that uh, particularly, but the Titans of All uh, were quite cool with both of them, really. And talk about maybe some of the things that we do differently in a second, but um uh, I didn't play particularly well uh, on any of the game that we did. Um, got the tactics wrong a little bit, but the they were quite interesting to have a play around with with these guys. There, they were with Titans of All. They were quite defensive, and it was all about kind of setting up um, yourself with these different these PDS kind of again kind of thing, like ion cannon, if you like, from Star Wars, where you're shooting up from the planet to the 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 ships around you, and. I just wasn't attacked, so it kind of didn't really serve much purpose. Perhaps that I was being too defensive about it and should have been more aggressive um, with that. Uh, definitely should have been more aggressive with the with the other guys. But anyway, um, 
they were they were quite cool. I'm really glad I played them. I'm not sure I'd definitely choose to do them again, apart from the want to to kind of do it and and do it better. I kind of feel like I've done done those guys and, and know what they're about. Um, so that that was the Titans of all. Any other comments about the rest of the new content from the Prophecy of Kings? Yeah, I I really enjoyed the new content. I think we've talked in the past about expansions being there just to add more stuff for the sake of it, but I think the the leaders the mechs um you know it it all just actually enhanced the game and i think we kind of all spoke about it afterwards now we've played prophecy of kings i don't think we'd ever go back to playing no original original twilight because and there are games where there are expansions and you think oh we'll not play with the expansion this time I mean the the fact that you actually have to change some of the decks and stuff like that to to make it work. That that aside, I think Prophecy of Kings builds on the game without making the game any longer, mm. but just gives you more options, more to think about. I, yeah, massive fan of it. Yeah, Neil. Yeah. Uh, similar to Paul, like I, I don't think there's any way you'd ever want to not play with it um, now. Um, I really liked the, the agents, the commanders and the heroes. I thought that they were, that they were cool without being like game breaking. They just made your faction more factiony. You know what I mean? Like, so, and what so I mean, gave a bit more spice, I mean, as to all the difference. Yeah. It just, it just helps you to identify a little bit more as, as who you are and what you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. So, you know, if, if the Nazroka were in the core game, then, then for them, it would have just all been about, um, you know, you can draw two cards, um, when you, when you search and, uh, I think their other faction ability was something else. Like, but that's all that's all the core factions have got. It's just those two faction abilities. Whereas now you've effectively got five faction abilities because you've got, you know, the agent, the hero, and the commander. Mm. Um, so I really, really liked that. I thought that gave them the more depth. Um, I quite like the uh, the alliance promissory notes. I yeah, thought that was quite good. And yeah, I thought that's that you cool. could make that alliance and then use your nate like use your allies commander ability i thought that was quite cool i think it's interesting we've never really seen that thing about the promissory notes on a more general point of kind of passing them around the table we i think we almost forget that you can do that that you can pass other people's promissory notes on as part of a negotiation i'd love to see that in there at some point but yeah that was a good one any regrets anything that you... trusting reese <laughs> 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 yeah fair enough oh <laughs> also you know, no it was such a good weekend um and and actually the <clears throat> the last turn like i had um it it could have gone either way between myself and john for for the victory um yeah i i think a couple of people were kind of out of it at some points but for the most part the game felt close it did. It did actually. There were and not in the second one we did. I think we were all suffering with fatigue a bit there, but the the first game was very close. I, I don't want to quite call them regrets for me, but I alluded to it a minute ago that I don't think I played very well in either game for whatever reason, where the factions were just not right for me. I just wasn't playing them very well. 
as the uh, the brotherhood of yin and you just need to be much more aggressive and be using that um flagship ability to blow up other people i didn't really do that until basically the, almost the last turn of the game which was silly and as i said with the others i was just a bit too defensive so i don't, I don't want to call them regrets because i still had a fantastic time and really enjoyed it um and you know we'll do it again very very soon but just didn't didn't play very well on this occasion i, I think there wasn't actually as much combat as i was expecting for two or a six player and then a five player game right so and this is another good point then so how did we feel this first six player what what was different i i adored the six player game I should preface this with I'm gutted that I didn't get to that, that I had to rush off and that I couldn't stay around for the second game because I know we'd kind of talked at length about the merit of like a normal map versus the big map and the extra space. And I had some preconceptions from things that I'd read online, but I would, you know, I still would have liked to have, have, have you know, experienced it firsthand and made my own calls on it. Yeah, it's worth sort of just saying that quickly. So <clears throat> in that second game, we didn't just use a default. We I had created what i tried to do as a, a fairly equal map um but also just basically used every single um every single tile that you can use in the game just just to see how it go really and and actually i think it works quite well it, it was a different game in some ways maybe i was more out of it as titans of all because the map was bigger i don't know but i i felt it was quite good so yeah, it's a shame you didn't manage to um to to have a go at that but but next time but the, the the game that we played as six players on the core map, I absolutely adored. I loved that. Maybe it felt better as well because John was playing as the Emirates, so it felt like there was more yeah. communication and trade. Yeah. Um, but it felt like you really needed to rely on each other a little bit more than even the four-player games that we've played. Mm. And it made me wonder then, like, is six my now, like, now my preferred player count? Mm. And if we were to ever have a four-player game would I be wanting us to do it on because I've seen like custom maps for four player games that are actually smaller than than what we played on. Yeah. Yeah. To make like it a tighter. Rectangle. Yeah. Because then that 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 constraint of size forces mm. interaction. Yeah. Right. And that I think I would agree with everything you said. The the trading was was really good in that first game. We said it in our preview, right? Um that nine uh episode nine part B. So we'll have a listen to that if you're uh, if you're keen and we said that we really wanted someone to play her can see how that would work in this and, and john was them and that just meant that trading just was all over and we almost got too excited and john just became this billionaire in trade uh, <laughs> goods in, in no time at all but i think that's how it's meant to go with them right and i think yeah. i've seen them i've seen the emirates played where they don't turn into the lannisters mm. and then that's kind of like well that's their thing like they mm. need to do that for them to mm. have a chance it would be I'd almost want to play a game of this at some point where you had a predefined set of factions that you thought were going to work well against each other. And, you know, sure, you then uh, at random decide which one you're going to be. And maybe people feel a bit salty about that. I don't know. But it would be great to play that with Hakan, four others, and then the what i always feel they're called the pirates mentak are they mentak yeah, yeah yeah to do that so you've got like the anti hakan it might be an interesting thing to look at at some point um so go hakan mentak um university and necro right so they're all they've all got the yin and yangs of each other right yeah and then just need two more two more randos yeah <laughs> just anyone 
Yeah, right. So then I but then I'd like throw like the ex char in who've then got to be someone that's gonna be, you know, or like maybe Letnev, right? The Letnev, Letnev exactly Letnev, is the yeah. one that I was thinking. Very aggressive and someone who's all peace turtles, yeah. Mm. Okay. So in that uh preview episode 9B, we talked about predictions and and if we just have a little look here about who we said Paul's gonna argue me with me over this because he thinks he got it right, but um <laughs> Well, you did, to be fair, um, of who we said was going to win. So, Neil, your your prediction was me. How did that work out for you? Terribly. <laughs> you suck. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> I, I sort of had some confidence with um, the Titans of All as well, because I thought, ah, oh, these guys are going to be good. But the yin was just a bit of an experiment. But, oh, well. Okay. So, uh, don't put your faith in me. That's your lesson there. Uh, next one, or, or Reese for that matter. Next one, I said... I promise you, I said it's on record. Come on, Seb and Reese. So I'm going to take a, uh, a, a half a point for that one. Um, on, Paul, on the spreadsheet, you've got Seb down as your prediction. Yeah, because you put it down. <laughs> it's on the spreadsheet. It's like the edit. It's like the edit. This is Paul's like... manipulative faction ability. He may once per game change Tom's prediction. <laughs> can't, you can't argue with the spreadsheet. No, no, no. Uh, but Paul, Smugzilla. You predicted Reese would, uh, would would come first, and, and well done you. I didn't. Um, I didn't hedge my bets like you. No, you did also say I listened back, and you did also say that I would come dead last. Uh, and I think I, I didn't. I didn't. Someone else came dead last in the first game. So, but I think I was joined last in the second, <laughs> or second one. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you when Paul's not one. winning the game, he's winning the predictions game. Oh, no, it's ridiculous. It's, this, this is Paul's game. Okay, then we went for durations. So Paul. You said eight hours and 13 minutes. Yeah. I said nine hours and two minutes. And Neil, you said 10 hours and 39 minutes. And I think they may not have won the main game, uh, Neil, and weren't unfortunately there for the second game, but you definitely won the duration. We played somewhere, we think, in the region of about 10 and a half, 11 hours in that first game. So I think you uh, you, you can be uh, Captain Smug on that one. Well, let me quickly edit the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. Everyone's a winner. Just for the for those that are getting put off, like that was a leisurely um learning game as well. hours, right? That correct, was, correct. Which know. we played from Over a two days to a morning. Yeah, we well. did like three and a half hours, something like that, on the evening and then played the rest of that seven hours on on the on the day from the morning it includes a couple of meals it includes a lot of like yeah yeah yes don't be put off it's so good it's so good this game the second game what we weren't far off of what six seven hours i think it was five of us then and i think we were maybe five six hours something like that so i guess the big question is what are your three faction choices for march So that was our Twilight Imperium debrief. If you stayed with us this long, thank you. We know that was a lot of Twilight Imperium talk over this episode and previous, but we just love this game. It's so good. It's so good. And if you haven't tried it, maybe see if you can find a copy at your local games cafe and set up a game and try uh, some of it there or maybe look at some of the excellent scripts that are on Tabletop Simulator um, before you become hopelessly addicted and go out and buy it. As a mark of how good this game is, uh, our new friend John 
more or less did exactly that after he'd played, uh, jumped onto eBay and found himself a copy and had it ordered almost straight away. So just before we finish this podcast, what would we give Twilight Imperium out of 10? Oh. 10. Neil. Spinal tap it, mate. 11. <laughs> <laughs> no, hard 10. Tens all, tens all round. It is such a good game. So, so check it out. Uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Okay, that's the podcast. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider helping us out and maybe give us a rating or review or have a chat and recommend us to your friends. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. Check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts for more. If you'd like to get in touch, uh, please DM us on one of those social platforms or email us at imhavingmyone at gmail.com. So thanks again for listening. We've been having my one and make sure you have yours in 2023 too. I'm having my one!